Hi, I'm Imogen Watson, Work and Inspiration Editor, and welcome to the Campaign Podcast. Today, we'll be discussing the UK government's decision to resist legal changes that could protect the rights of people experiencing menopause and what people in Advan can do about it. We'll also be breaking down a recent BCCP study, which identified six barriers to young people from diverse backgrounds applying to work in the industry. And today's hot topic is artificial intelligence. Will it bring about the biggest transformation in the history of advertising? Campaign will quiz a panel of AI experts to get to the bottom of it. After that, we'll be discussing some campaigns that have caught our eye this week. Before we dig into all things AI, Campaign's creativity and culture editor, Gurdjit Egan, and Campaign's reporter, Charlotte Rawlings, join me to unpack this week's top news stories. Thanks so much for joining. Hello. So let's kick off with the, the menopause news. Now, menopause can last up for as long as 14 years. It causes hot flushes, mood changes and memory problems, which pushes highly skilled and experienced women out of work with knock-on effects on the gender pay gap, pension gap and the number of women in senior leadership positions. In an attempt to help support people experiencing menopause, the Women and Equalities Committee published a report last summer recommending menopause should be made a protective characteristic, much like race or religion under the Equality Act. This would make it illegal to discriminate against people experiencing menopause. Ministers dismissed the recommendation on the grounds the move would discriminate against men with long-term health conditions. The cross-party report also suggested a pilot trial of menopause leave to support those suffering from debilitating symptoms, but that was also rejected because ministers argued that it would be counterproductive. Melissa Robertson, chief exec of Dark Horses, which released an open source menopause policy back in 2021, penned an opinion piece for a campaign calling the decision a big kick in the teeth. Gurdjit, can you explain why Melissa is so frustrated? Well, she's furious. Um, so the, the big thing is that the 2010 Equalities Act doesn't cover menopause. It deals with uh, protected characteristics um, in the workplace. Um, among other things. Um, so it covers like pregnancy, maternity, and then race, religion, sexual orientation, gender reassignment, alongside marriage and civil, uh, civil partnerships, uh, sex, age, disability. So Melissa is saying that you could perhaps argue menopause is catered for by age, sex, and or disability. Um, but it's quite, but that's quite vague. And so there needs to be a huge push to um, get menopause formally categorised. I think it kind of just shows, doesn't it, that the female body is so misunderstood and that there's like real lack of research. And it's something that uh, we're, society is still working on um, understanding or getting other loads of people to kind of really understand it. Obviously, it's easy to be ignorant of it, but it seems strange that they've presented it as recommendations and still it's rejected without further thoughts on it. Yeah, I think that that point um, that you made about it would um, discriminate against men with long-term health conditions was quite a kick as well. Um, Because menopause, like you said, the the impact it has on people and therefore businesses has just... Yeah, it's it's massive, but it hasn't seemed to have kind of... The government doesn't seem to have understood that part and I I think another thing it's sort of highlighted is obviously we're talking a lot more about these things because of 
wild horses doing their open source policy and things like World Menopause Day. But I I think a lot of listeners would be surprised to hear that 87% of companies in the advertising industry have admitted they still don't have one. Um, Charlotte, what advice did Melissa give in her piece? Get angry and fight, which (laughs) (laughs) I'm always up for. Love ride at dawn. Um, (laughs) Any excuse. Yeah, basically to sum it up, Melissa advises people to fight against it, which is fair enough. She says that we need to be more angry and determined, referring to how the reaction so far hardly scratches the surface of how frustrated women feel at these decisions. Um, she says it's a backwards decision, describing it as a regressive retrograde and enraging decision that we need to fight. Um, and it's just crazy that, you know, it's 2023 and we're still having these conversations. Um In the piece, she says we need to fight bottom up and top down, uh, encouraging everyone to stand up and do the right thing by pushing their employers to put a menopause policy in place, which, you know, isn't isn't that hard to do, like we've said. Um, And not only that, but, you know, this involves everyone. This isn't just the top dogs like we need to also call out the people who are making regressive jokes about menopausal women that sort of diminishes the struggle um and it makes them the brunt of a joke i was talking to my mom about this the other day and i was surprised to hear her go well i don't want people at work to know about menopause my menopause or whatever and i was like well what do you mean and i think there's still that misunderstanding that she saw afterwards the needs that it would be great to have a menopause policy there's it just feels like there's still so much progress to be done um in terms of understanding it there's a societal change first that probably needs to happen and then businesses will be like oh yeah we should do something about it. So there was a woman in my gym. Um, I was in the changing rooms. Um, she was just kind of sat there, and I was like, "What? What's happening?" And anyway, she was um, uh, expecting a call from her GP, and um, she was then, um, you know, say hello, and she's going through these symptoms, and then she then for somehow she saw me <laughs> getting changed and in earshot. Um, and then all of a sudden she got embarrassed and um, started apologising and said, oh, I'm sorry, you know, like, oh, other people are in earshot and people can hear. And I was like, I'm, I'm like... It blows your mind, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, mid-30s, I want to know about this. We should be able to talk about this. We should be able to um, be okay with it. And just women just being, like you say, your mum, they're of a generation, she's of a generation where it's like, oh, gosh, we don't talk about that. But it's also impacting businesses. So... I think if business leaders understand it and then get that through, then women wouldn't just kind of drop out or feel uncomfortable in going to work or, you know, if, if they're not performing at their best, you can just kind of have a, have a day off or some time off. The thing that caused me the most fury <laughs> is the terminology, things like calling it a discrimination towards men when as women, 50% of the population grow up dealing with periods then they grow up giving then they give birth and mother children I'm trying to catch up on what I need to do when I get to this point (laughs) and obviously then potential of 14 years of menopause and it's discriminating men there's a disconnect there's a disconnect I think between you know like people experiencing menopause periods all of that they don't seem to grasp the concept that this is also medical stuff this is science this is stuff that you know people experience that are a detriment to their performance but because it's happening to women and it's part of you know their biology or whatever it's like well that we'll just dismiss that that's something that they have to put up with because it's part of their biology and that's where it becomes 
annoying because where where they've said oh it's you know discriminative towards men it's this is still stuff we were that... born discriminated <laughs> <laughs> exactly um anyway well i think the main thing from this is just to keep up the fight and don't let these things hold us back and if you've in a company that doesn't have a menopause policy then get angry <laughs> In other news, VCCP Group has conducted research that found people from diverse backgrounds are being stopped from pursuing careers in the ad industry. The report named six barriers to entry. Charlotte, what are they? So the six barriers, let's start with anonymity, which refers to the lack of awareness of the ad industry because of the absence of this sector at job fairs. Um, One person in the report even said, I wouldn't know where to start. I couldn't name an advertising um, agency. It illustrates how many working class students don't know that, you know, agency work is an option for them, which is, you know, it's a, it's understandable. Um, people see ads all the time. It's part of their, you know, it's part of everyone's everyday lives. But do you really think about, you know, the people behind them? It might, it's an interesting topic. Um, and the next one is very interesting. It's the bad reputation of salesmen, um, with many respondents seeing advertising as they're described as unnecessary, untrustworthy and pushy, which ironically doesn't really sell it to people. <laughs> So it's going against the souls, the soul sales um, dynamic. The third one is too different, meaning that they view people who work in the ad industry as unrelatable, describing their perception of them as Apple obsessed, edgily dressed, slightly obnoxious, and middle class. That's making me laugh. Gadget can't help but laugh. <laughs> um, the next one is VCCP said that that was like sickening the accurate as well so there's a point there <laughs> it is pretty it's, it's very accurate <laughs> um the next one is too far which refers to the geographical inaccessibility of the industry the report found that on average working class audiences don't move more than five miles from where they were born and if that wasn't near a big city that's certainly a huge barrier i think there was um there was a respondent in the report that said that they lived in devon and i don't know how many well-known ad agencies are located down there um so it's again like the whole London centric thing coming into play and then there was also a bad communication because many respondents didn't recall knowing anything about internships in the ad industry and also apprenticeships were associated with poorly paid manual labor um and also assessment days and interviews were seen as incredibly intimidating, which I can understand. And then finally, there's ruthlessness with many viewing the industry as cutthroat with a massive pressure to perform, which means people felt that they would be out of their depth and struggle to fit in. When you reflect on that, you're like, how does anyone get in? Um, there's so many barriers that could get in the way. But the report sparked a debate online. Um and people were debating whether that it's the route into the creative industries that's the biggest culprit um, or whether it's actually internal issues like bias, prejudice and racism, which is left unchecked and not addressed, that's making Adlan inaccessible to young, diverse talents. So, Gurdjieff, what would you say are your thoughts? Is is the pipeline open as it could be? How should agencies focus on um, their internal issues? I think, yeah, I, I- I think agencies have got like a hell of a lot better in, in attracting diverse talent and uh, coming up with different ways um, of doing so. Um, and I think the work um, done and they're doing there, I, I think is commendable. But yeah, I interviewed Ete Davies um, when he joined at Engine uh, about three years ago now. Um, he's now the EMEA Chief Operating Officer at Dentsu Creative. 
Um, and he told me about a scheme he, he set up uh, called Culture Heroes to retain people from ethnic minorities in ad agencies or Adland. So what he was saying was that um, it's okay to get people, it's easy to get people in, easy, you know, but they generally drop out after two years, one or two years. And he's calling this a diversity churn. It's basically you're surrounded um, by people who you not necessarily know how to kind of socialize with don't understand your culture so he was saying there's a lot of unconscious bias now this interview I did was like three years ago so things have changed um, but I do think there's slow progress generally as people we tend to tend to kind of like hang out with people who are like us so then if you have senior people in ad agencies in businesses you know going to the pub or I don't know, whatever social thing, or even, you know, in the office, you're going to have a chat with people who are like you and then just kind of push that knowledge that you've got, general knowledge, you know, just about kind of, oh, I know so-and-so or I know so-and-so here and this, you know, if if they're going for a different job or something or, you know, so he was saying that when people have hired people who are similar to them they tend to connect a bit more on a social and personal level yeah so it's it's those points um which we can probably be better at is there any ways that you think the agencies could make this better internally what's your thoughts charlotte i want to say that i'm not an expert and i don't know how to like (laughs) solve this problem because it's a tough one because issues like you know racism and prejudice are such huge challenges that most industries haven't tackled yet not just the ad industry so it's hard to say what the key is to fixing this internally but i can say that i don't think it's enough to get your employees to take a diversity and inclusion course like this is the bare minimum in my opinion um and they certainly help and it's good to get like those discussions out there and get people talking um but there are the uh, there are other things agencies can do to demonstrate they're taking action on the problem and not just not just ticking a box not just you know complying to an industry standard like working with DE and I partners on the recruitment process for example i think can make a difference and also listening to your current employees who are from diverse backgrounds to get their views on how to address the issues. Um, like Gurdjit was saying, agencies need to be taking on like an active interest in how to combat the diversity churn and focus on retaining their staff as well as recruiting more. Time for all things AI. After years of preparations, 2022 was packed with advances in artificial intelligence. Now that generative AI revolution is in full swing, marketers have been keen to jump on the growing trend. Here to discuss whether it'll bring about the biggest transformation in the history of advertising, I'm delighted to be joined by Sue Uniman, Chief Transformation Officer at Essence Mediacom X, and Brian Yamada, Chief Innovation Officer at BML YNR. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting us. Absolutely. Why don't we kick off with a deeper understanding of where we're at? You know, 2022 was meta, meta, meta. Um, Brian, why has the artificial intelligence taken the buzzword crown? You know, it, it's definitely jumped to the masses. I would say that artificial intelligence for uh, for quite some time was... Um, the geeks in the corner <laughs> and we've seen the 
you know, with the processing power increases and the complexity of the models that um, it's, it's just opened up so many new possibilities. And in, instead of just being with the data scientists, it's now jumping across to all different types of people and, and out to the masses for sure. Sue, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, you know, everybody's having a play with chat GPT, right? Um, including, um, I, had, I had a story the other day, and this maybe begs one of the questions about the impact of all of this. But um, a colleague of mine said that his daughter had been set some homework on Vivian Westwood and she didn't write it, the app wrote it. And I can remember, because I'm very old, that when I had homework to do, I had to go to an actual library. You had to like get up, go to a library, find a book. And so it's so, so different. And it has just become something that I, I literally don't know anyone that writes a column apart from me, by the way, who hasn't had a go at having their column written in their own style by that app. So I think it's, um, yeah, Imogen, have you had a go with it? Uh, I haven't, actually. Um, I'm worried it would be better than me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But if that was my child, I don't know if I'd be kind of impressed. I mean, like, fair enough. That's that's quite good skills. Showing initiative. It's using initiative. I'd struggle to tell them off, but then you'd have to because it's not going to get them far in life. Or maybe it will, you know? I think that's the fear, isn't it? Um, so we've got DeepMind's AlphaCode, OpenAI's ChatGPT, GPT 3.5, Doll-E, MidJourney, Jasper, and Stable Diffusion are just to name a few of these major generative AI platforms. Um, Brian, can you give us a talk a bit, talk a bit about their uses um, and, and how are advertisers using these technology? Well, you know, I, th- I think we're we're seeing it come to life in a lot of different ways. So just, you know, similar to the homework assignment that Sue was just referencing, I think we can now get super smart super quickly on different topics. So if you're if you're jumping in and trying to understand the uh, a new category, a new technology, you can ask how what are the top books in that? And after you get the list of the top books, ask, give me the top summary, um, two, three paragraphs on what that what that author is referencing. So you know, the the ability to synthesize and quickly jump in and understand certain topics, super interesting. And then, you know, when you talk about Dolly and Chad, it journey, you know, the, the generative side where it's not just the ability to begin to synthesize, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it, Google's putting links in a page that you still need to go and read and reference and do the synthesis yourself. Um, it's actually doing creation. It's writing copy. It's generating images, generating videos, generating audio and music. Um, and so that the complexity of what the, these AI can tackle is astounding. And I think we're, we're still in that early exploratory phase of understanding sort of how and where it's going to apply best and where we want things to be AI forward where the thing that our audience are, is, is experiencing is very much generated by AI directly. And some, some things will be AI embedded into our processes in the way that we work. So are these programs, would you say they're as intelligent as they seem? Have you seen any limitations? So, so look, it's interesting, isn't it? it? It Obviously, you can look at this and go, it's going gonna, it's gonna to save an awful lot of time. You can look at this and you can go, it democratizes information. But actually, what it will give you, right, Brian, is lots and lots of different options. It's not going to tell you which one is the best one because it can't do that. And 
it's not going to create something that comes at things from a different angle to most of the voices that are out there, which is where it's getting its its ideas from. They're getting their ideas from. Um, so it's not going to give you that 1% left field angle that actually maybe could be transformation transformational maybe could be a real breakthrough and as someone who's kind of in the business in the you know got transformation in my title in the business of of, of breakthrough essence me to come back it's all about breakthrough um i think the um the edge comes from using the intelligence that's out there but then adding something over and a bit and above that and that critical decision making on top of AI, that's the thing that will give one company or one brand better advantage in the category than anything else. Brian, from an advertising perspective, how have you guys been using generative AI so far? We're seeing it pop up more and more. Uh, really across the industry, I would say. We've been exploring how it fits into, uh, you know, as, as Sue was saying, really the creative and ideation process. Um, and it's 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 allowing us to explore, you know, different combinations, start to see imagery of what that what that could represent very quickly. So um, it does it does expedite time. And then um, we we've been I mean we've been using AI in different capacities for for quite some time in terms of creating experiences for for audiences. Uh, sometimes there's been more functional uh, things that have been incorporating you know computer vision or voice. Um, there have been other times that we're building AI to actually uh, we, we built something recently that captured people's voices that were losing them from medical condition so they could use it for text to speech later in life if as they're they they lose the ability to speak um, so you know the the technology has been around for quite some time i just think we're seeing an explosion out to the masses um, so a lot more curiosity to explore but it's something that i, I feel like we've been using and the industry is really used for uh, for a number of different years so if, can you go a bit deeper um, in what role the platforms like GPT and OpenAI can play at media agencies? Media agencies, you know, for, for a long time have um, been concerned, certainly in our case, with optimizing everything, everything that we can about the customer journey. So, you know, that the, there is a massive multiplier if you think about um, performance media that comes from the creative work over and above simply putting the right, you know, the, 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 the message in front of the right people at the right time. So, you know, the mantra is right, right person, right, right time, right place, right message. And that improves conversions. And it also, it, you know, p- people respond to things that are relevant to them. What this allows us to do is, you know, have just a bank of relevant data to feed into in order to look at what kind of messages those should those should be um, in order to pr- improve performance. But in addition to that, honestly, I've heard people talk about using it to write a speech. I've heard people talk about it in order to, you know, write a uh, manual. So, you know, if there's a, if there's kind of HR applications for it that you could see couldn't couldn't you which is you know give us some ideas about how we could write this more in the style of this rather than that so I think across the 
company, actually, there's going to be um, opportunities that are raised by artificial intelligence. But equally and importantly, there's going to be challenges as well. In terms of the creative process, um, do you believe that AI can help Adlan to make better ads? Um, how is it going to impact creativity? I, I do think it will embed uh, it will will embed it into all aspects of the way that we work, and I do agree. I think it'll happen front of house, back of house. Um, so, um, in terms of will it make us better? I I, I do think I do think it will be. Um, it will help us get faster. It will help, especially in the places where um, we're using, we need to do mass things to Sue's point on programmatic. We have to write a, a huge number of different versions, slightly different versions about uh, product detail for the different environments that that page might live, whether it's the brand.com, slightly different on Walmart or Amazon or Target. I think there'll be scenarios where we need to um, develop multitude of different assets. And instead of humans writing all of that, there may be editors that are doing the reviews. Um, we'll have, I do think one of the components that we as an industry and brands and companies are going to have to consider is how we start to build um, the brand guardrails and governance around what the, what these are generating. Whereas today, you know, if we're, as long as we have humans in the loop that understand the brand, that understand the voice, that understand how it should speak, then we're able to start to modify and evolve. But I think we'll work to a point where um, we're creating those guardrails into the training process. So rather than just kind of exploring chat in one-off ways and you get an output and then you're starting to narrow and modify through the different prompts, I think that will be part of what we're engineering as part of the as part of the baseline tool set. And I think for me, you know, one of the challenges is if everybody's using the same tools, then where does the difference or the edge come in from for your client or, or for your brand or for your campaign? So I think that's one of the questions that we need to ask. Um, and the other one is back to um, inclusion and belonging and diversity and the fact that, you know, the, the AI can only generate ideas from the ideas that are already out there. And we know, you know, it's back to those old tropes of if you search for images of doctors or all the doctors men and, and you know, the, the search engines went out of their way to redress that. Those sorts of pitfalls are sitting around um, in anything that is robots scraping what's out there and, and generating copy or images from that. With a global recession looming, job security um, is front of many minds. Realistically, um, do you think these programs would threaten jobs? Uh, the, the Economist uh, this week specifically said it will lead to more job creation than it will to um, lessening of jobs. We're in that situation again where it will be different kinds of jobs. I mean, you know, again, I go back to the time when I first entered the world of agencies and my goodness, was it Mad Men, you know, personified when I first joined advertising. There was a photocopying room where you had to go and queue up. And um, uh, if you weren't nice enough to the men that ran the photocopying room, they'd, you'd kind of get bumped to the back of the, the queue. It was very, very um, hierarchical. <laughs> Um, where are those jobs now? Those jobs have gone, but there are plenty of other jobs that have been created um, instead. 
we talked a lot about the positive sides of it, but obviously there is a number of areas for of issue um, um, that this technology could promote a number of potential harms, including misinformation, bias, hate speech and harassment. Um, are, legally, are you concerned about these untapped issues? Yeah, I, I would say I think there's there are probably several components there. One is especially in AI forward scenarios where you have an audience or consumers are interacting and they're, they're getting something that's generated right away. Um, the, you know, the amount of testing and, and uh, brand safety that you need to make sure is in play for that is super important. I mean, chat chat's relatively new, uh, but it was, I think a couple of years ago that it was one of the big tech companies did a, did a different chat bot, set it loose on Twitter and within 24 hours, it was saying very uh, hateful and racist things because those, that, those were the types of posts that were generating the most interaction. So absolutely, when we're, when we're trying to create something that is AI forward and the thing that the audience is interacting with, I think we have now a higher level of rigor uh, to make sure that we're testing what those outcomes are, that we feel like there's um, guardrails in place for that to be safe, that we have a, a means to sort of monitor how that's evolving <laughs> over time, uh, especially in the cases where we're not, we don't own the, the creation or end to end training of a particular model. It's different when we're the ones doing all of the development, but if we're incorporating anything from a third party, I think we have to really be considered about uh, what those inputs and outputs are in an AI forward way. Um, and, and I do think that's why it's still important, especially as we're in this early stage to make sure that we're thinking about humans in the loop at different stages to do the evaluation, to make sure that brand safety, uh, inclusiveness, diversity are all really built into the way that we're thinking and the way that we're using this. Obviously, generative AI models are trained on copyright protected data. So are there legal ramifications for brands when it comes to work created solely by machines? Yeah, especially especially in the cases where um, it's, it's mass models that the brand has not had visibility to the training set. So, and, and again, that's, that's what makes it important for us to, uh, to, to make sure that we're understanding what those outputs are and whether we're infringing any copyrights. You know, the, it's funny on the, to kind of circle back to the school example, um, there, there's already software platforms that, are, that will try to analyze to see if the text that I wrote is plagiarizing in different capacities. You know, I do think we'll have, and there, there's already software that's starting to be developed to try to identify defects. Um, and I think there will be in copyright um, new new tools that will evolve and start to come forward that will help brands protect um, their own rights and protect their unintentional infringement <laughs> on the rights of others, whether that be the, the way that the copy is written, the way somebody's voice might sound. Um, but it is, it's going to be super complicated. So I, I do actually feel for the lawyers and the regulator that are trying to figure out um, where and how to jump in and manage the space. They'll have lots of work. <laughs> that's true. It's quite exciting. I'm very intrigued as to where it's going to go. Um, that's Time's Up. So Sue and Brian, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today and share your AI wisdom. And now to end with some creative that's caught our eye this week. If you've happened to pass by London South Bank this week, you might have noticed a giant axe smashed into the concrete. Why? 
It's Kratos' weapon of choice in God of War. And the clever bit of guerrilla marketing is part of a wider global campaign from Sony Interactive Entertainment to invite new players to the PlayStation 5 platform after overcoming console availability issues. The campaign film spoofs a breaking news channel that flicks through various news stories like Spider-Man capturing criminals in New York or Horizon Forbidden West alloy rediscovering ancient lands. As the newsreader suggests events are linked to uh, an increase in activity on PS5, uh, it draws attention to the spike that PlayStation expects now that more consoles, to, uh, there's more consoles to go around. Um, the campaign was created by Richard Gayton and Darren Beresford, um, and the film was directed by Henry Hobson through MJZ. And actually, the whole thing involved more than 50 visual effect artists, 23 actors, and 58 extras. So, yeah, they went in. Um, should we have a listen? This is live from PS5. Let's go now to our first story. The good people of Manhattan woke up to a gift from their favorite hero as he delivered a gang of criminals on something of a webbed platter. Historic scenes unfolding in San Francisco. Like the first of our tribe to have laid eyes on this scene in over 2,000 years. Gurdjieff, why do you think this theater of the streets disruptive tactic works so well for PlayStation? PlayStation have a way of doing things um, in a fun way, and Adam and Eve um, and that partnership has been going on for a while, for quite a long it's time. It's a great account. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's so much to do with it. Um, yeah, so I, I think it generally just um, kind of stops you in your tracks. And I like the way they pulled in the social media um, side of things as well. You know, with Twitter and like, breaking news alerts going all there, the massive acts, South Bank and. Yeah, you can tell the, the creatives love it. Yeah, and all you have to do if you go on the film on YouTube, it's funny just reading the comments because it's like they know what gets a gamer going because like, <laughs> I'm not personally a gamer. So for me, I'm like, oh, that looks fun. Um, but like reading the comments, they're like digging it. Next up, we have Royal Foundation Center for Early Childhood. Created by Wonderhood Studios, Shaping Us is a claymation that shows a journey of a girl from embryo to the age of five to demonstrate how much the brain develops in that time. The work was created by Sophie Seitz and Simone Wilberg, and it was directed by Sam Gainsbury through Blinken. Let's have a listen. We can't wait to meet you. Campaign is inspired by research finding that one in three adults reported knowing just a little or nothing about how children develop in their early childhood. Um, and it also follows on from research conducted last year, which highlighted that very few people recognise the unique importance of the zero to five period compared to other stages of life. Um, so the Shaping Us campaign aims to raise awareness of all of this. Um, and I think a lot of people don't realise how much babies and toddlers actually absorb, um, especially since a chunk of this period, the child can't properly communicate how it's feeling through words. Um, so I think the creative gets this across with visual cues instead. So like, you know, you've got the sparks of colour bursting around her brain and, you know, all the different facial expressions and stuff too, which I think the use of claymation is really interesting there. Um, I really like it. Um, but yeah, it's all quite moving to watch considering. Yeah, I have a two-year-old, so <laughs> that's why I really liked it. Um, and I've read up a lot on like research about um, how much a child grows and how much their brain develops. So it's really well done. It's... Um, 
uh, it's a really well-made ad. Um, I think the criticisms around it are perhaps that um, for the, you know, a royal to come out with um, a piece of work like this, it's all lovey-dovey and happy and, you know, it's all soft and I suppose lovey-dovey is the wrong word, but I mean, yeah, it's kind of soft and happy. um, It made me feel a little bit sort of sad by the end of it in the sense of if people don't have parents or anyone invested yeah. in them to be able to do that it's like an ideal ideal situation it is yeah there is a moment where the parents say that they're you know struggling a bit um but then there is someone who offers to help I think it might be the grandparents or friends or something um but I guess like it's not too uh romanticized um in that it does I mean it is only 90 seconds so it needs to tackle a lot of issues in that time and I think maybe it does it does cover like you know the not so the not so good parts. Next up AMV BBDO has brought out Work for Ford which spotlights how the 2023 Ranger pickup truck needs to be broken in before it feels just right. The spot was directed by Marcus Soderlund through Academy Films and created by David Westland and Jeremy Tribe. Now it's hard to keep coming up with an original way to sell cars. Gurdjit do you think this ad passes that test? Yes, in the terms of it's somebody getting a new car and making it dirty, doing everything they can to make it dirty. But um, really, it is another car ad, isn't it? You, it there's mountains, it's driving off mountain, and it's showing how, you know, how I can go through the, the rough terrains and stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think they've done really well in terms of um, pulling together s- uh, something different um in 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 that market in the car market i don't know i i wasn't really taken i wasn't taken aback by the ad overall it's an interesting one because we saw i talk brought it up is the fact that there's not any ways you can sell a car but at the end of the day that probably there is only one real way to sell a car um and from our perspective in adland you know like critiquing ads um you've got to maybe think about who this is for and i guess it ticks all those boxes of showing off the car showing off all the things about it I think it's a good strategy in that it's turning the category on its head a bit because, you know, the typical car ad is like showing this beautiful, like spotless car that looks like it hasn't been driven (laughs) as it's driven through like really clean streets and like, you know, there's nobody else driving either. It's just them on an empty road. And like, so I think it's clever in that it's turning it on its head a bit and doing something different where it's showing the car being like, you know, knocked up a bit. Um, So in that sense, it's clever. And it is a it's a tricky category because like I did a feature recently on how ad regulations impact creativity and it is it's difficult because you want to make it look exciting, but you you're you have to abide by lots of rules and you can't, you know, how do you make something look exciting without someone speeding down busy streets and performing tricks and stunts and all of this? So like I think they've struck like a, a nice balance in like trying to make it look exciting. But also I don't think I'm the target market because I was just getting frustrated at him knocking his car about and like, especially as soon as he gets it, he muddies it up with his dirty hand. Also, why was his hand so dirty? There's just been a pandemic. Please wash your hands. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, I think that's all we've got time for. Um, thanks again to Sue and Brian for joining today's episode as we delve into artificial intelligence new frontier and to Gurja and Charlotte for helping me break down this week's news stories and best creative. If you'd like to learn more about what we have been discussing today, please visit our website, campaignlive.co.uk. 
Details of our subscriptions are available at www.campaignlive.co.uk forward slash membership. If you enjoyed this episode of the Campaign Podcast, please follow us, like us, and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. A big thank you to Haymarket Studio Manager Navpal and Editorial Assistant Sean Thurgood, and also our producer Lindsay Riley from Rethink Audio. And also to you for listening. I hope you will join us next time. On behalf of the campaign team, goodbye. Goodbye.